Please join me in 1 Corinthians 15, and let's talk today about serving with resurrection courage. So it's Super Bowl Sunday, and I plan to watch the game. Neither team is my team, and uh, even so, I'll enjoy the competition. I'll enjoy the excellence of it, the excitement. I plan to get into it, but ultimately, embarrassingly, it's all insignificant. Somebody might say, well, Jim, that's just sour grapes because you're a Carolina Panthers fan. And uh, that is true. And it's true that I'll probably care a little bit more if my Carolina Panthers ever get it together again, ever make it back to a Super Bowl. But even if the Carolina Panthers one day make it and win one, ultimately, embarrassingly, insignificant. It won't change my life at all. Nobody's eternal destiny hinges on who will win that game. But I want you to contrast that with what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's going to remind us of the victory that we have through our faith in Jesus Christ. And no other victory is really worth mentioning compared to that. Today, I want you to see that victory. I want that victory to shape your celebration of Christ, but also how you serve Christ for the rest of your days. 1 Corinthians 15, now let's pick up in verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Did you hear that victory that's ours through our faith in Jesus Christ? Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has defeated death. This is the greatest victory of all time and for all time. <clears throat> and this is a victory that's yours if you belong to Jesus Christ. One of the embarrassing things about sports and particularly sports radio is the way people call in and they're so animated, they're so angry. And so I can only take a little bit when I drive around town. I'll listen to a little sports radio, what's happening. People are so livid about their team. And then some of them embarrassingly start using the word we. We, we, we dominated on Sunday. We really, we mopped the floor with them on Sunday. I'm like, well, hold on, we, we. You were eating nachos on the couch. <laughs> and some guys were, they, they were we, they were winning. Even, even if you own a jersey for the team, it's no we. They're not letting you in the locker room. You have, no, you have no part in that victory. But contrast that with Jesus. His victory over death was for you. That's what he tells us in verse 57. God gives us the victory. It gives us the victory here. So, so let's talk about this this morning. What do I do with this news of this overwhelming victory of Jesus over death. Well, first of all, celebrate your eternal victory in Christ. 
Believer, celebrate your eternal victory in Christ. Since the first Sunday of this new year, we've been in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a long chapter. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus and then our coming resurrection of our bodies when Jesus returns. And through this through this time, through chapter 15, these weeks we've been in it, a number of important questions have come up and have been answered. For instance, the big one for the Corinthians is this. Is it really so? Will there really be a resurrection of the body at the end? And Paul gives a resounding yes. That's what this whole chapter has been about. The Corinthians believed in the resurrection of Jesus, but they just didn't know what to do with a, a future resurrection of the bodies of Christians. And so Paul says, no, it, it, is, it is so. If, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, remember, we're of all men most to be pitied. So Paul affirms, yes, all this talk of a future resurrection will come to pass. Then this question, when will it happen? And you may remember back in verse 23, we saw this, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So then we have another question. Well, what will these resurrection bodies be like? And we saw this last time, particularly places like verses 37 and 38. <clears throat> we had this, this teaching that this body is going to be planted in humiliation, but it's going to be raised in honor and glory. There's going to be a transformation of these bodies. They will be made imperishable. Our bodies in the resurrection will be made glorious. And so Paul even gave that analogy of when we, when we bury one of our loved ones who is a believer in Christ, it's like planting a precious seed in the ground. But what's going to come up later at the, at the resurrection when Jesus comes, it's far more glorious than what was put in the ground. So let's just think about that again. If you were to take an ugly tulip bulb and bury that in the ground with proper care and time, what's going to come up is a beautiful, glorious, colorful tulip. You say, something better came up from what I put in the ground. And, and that's how we're to look at this resurrection coming of our bodies. Now, last week after the sermon, several of you had a question. It was a practical question, a practical modern question. And so some of you asked a good question. Some others of you may have had the question. It's this, well, well what about cremation? The scripture talks about burial and resurrection, do, does a person miss out on resurrection because of cremation? And we would say certainly they do not miss out on resurrection. The point is that a believer who dies believing in Christ, when they die, uh, their body is in the ground, they immediately go to be present with the Lord. But coming when Jesus returns, their body will be raised. And that, that's true no matter the condition of the body when Jesus comes. You will be raised regardless of the burial custom that, that somebody participates in. By the way, this is true even if a person's an organ donor, the Lord is going to raise up and make that body whole and glorified. By the way, this is also true of those who might have been lost at sea. In fact, Revelation 20, 13 says that the sea is going to get the dead that's in them. So the point is, if a person dies believing in Christ, whatever condition the body's in, that body will be raised and glorified, transformed, will not miss anything. Let me illustrate it this way. Do you know when the Apostle Paul died? It was around AD 65. And so what do you suppose is the condition of the Apostle Paul's body? So he died. He was buried. He's awaiting his resurrection body. He immediately went into the presence of God. He's, he's doing great. I mean, he's, he's in heaven. Just like, again, the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. But the body has been in a grave. Now, if we could even find the grave of the Apostle Paul. 
And if we could find it and, and know that it's really his grave and then dig around in there to see the condition of his body, we're not going to find anything. Totally would have disintegrated after all these, after two millennia. And we'd say, well, well what about that? Well, he's, he's returned to dust. And the Lord at the resurrection, at the return of Christ, will raise his body, reconstitute his body, glorify that body. So we know this is all miraculous what God is going to do. Paul said it's, it's all kind of mysterious, but it is a mystery that God is disclosing to us. Now, here's another question that might come up as we think about future resurrection bodies. Somebody might ask, well, why is this even necessary? Isn't it just good enough? I'll die and go be the Lord. Why would I even need this body? Well, verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So these bodies of ours that we have now, they're, they're good. And uh, they are fallen because of the fall, because sin has entered the human race. And so we have all these problems as we talked about last time. So these are good for now, for the here and now. But God has something so much better in store for us. We're going to need a transformed body for all that he has for us. What, what Revelation 21 talks about, the new earth. We're going to need a new body, a changed body for life on the new earth. Now, another question could come up and is this, what about those who are alive when Jesus comes? If I'm going to need to be buried so that one day I'll be resurrected and transformed, well, what about if I'm one of those that's alive in the final generation? By the way, every generation thinks they're the final generation. and We might be. Maybe we are. We are exciting if Jesus came today. And so here's a word for us here. Paul says, well, there, there's a bit of a mystery here. But once again, a mystery that God is not going to leave a mystery. He's going to disclose it to us, that there's a change that will happen. So let's just marvel at this a moment. Aren't we glad for a God who wants to reveal mysteries to us? Things that we would have never known on our own, left our own figuring out. Aren't you glad God wants us to know him? So, so for example, it's a mystery. It could have been, and it was a mystery. How did we get here on there? How did humans get here? Who created all this? Well, that's a mystery, but a mystery that God has solved. God has disclosed it. He's told you, I made you. I made everything that exists. We don't have to wonder about that. That's no longer a mystery. So I'm always a bit amused when I watch the news and NASA says they're going to launch a, a new program to go into outer space to explore the origins of the universe. I like NASA. I think it's cool, the things they do. But that one always catches me a bit. That, that's a little bit of a waste because God has already disclosed the mystery of the origin of the universe. He created us. He spoke it into existence. Genesis 1-3. And throughout the creation days, God spoke and things happened. For instance, Genesis 1-3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God is our maker. We marvel at him. And once you know there's a maker, book of Genesis, all through the Psalms and throughout the Bible, we're told there's a maker. He is good. He's He's infinite in his wisdom. He's infinite in his power. And we owe him worship and awe. And that's what we're here doing today. God has disclosed things that were previously mysteries. Well, that's about our beginnings. That was a mystery now disclosed. Well, here we have in 1 Corinthians 15, we have a mystery now disclosed concerning the end. What's going to happen in the end? It's a mystery, Paul says, Paul, but it's a mystery you are being told. The dead in Christ will be raised. And the living who believed in Christ will be changed. Again, verse 51. Here's what's coming. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. 
So here's the victory that we're celebrating together today. That when Christ returns, all the bodies of believers from all time will be raised to life and made glorious at the same time. And all the bodies of living Christians at that time will be transformed without death. And all this is going to happen instantaneously. So as in the creation, when, when God spoke and things were created out of nothing, when Jesus returns, there'll be the blast of a trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise. And all who are living at that time who have believed in Jesus will be transformed. Everybody's getting their glorified body at the same time. Isn't that amazing? So all the dead from all the centuries raised up at the same time, all who are alive, everybody in the family of God getting their resurrection, getting their transformation at the same time. It's the same thing that we're taught in 1 Thessalonians 4. Jesus alludes to this in Matthew 24. So you and I in Christ eagerly anticipate and celebrate a, a transformed eternal destiny. Again, Revelation 21 is something we've referenced a lot over the last several weeks. Let me read to you this, this teaching in the Bible about the new earth where you're going to need this new body he's going to give you. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Listen. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So what a promise. What a glorious mystery that God wants you to know. He has disclosed to you what's going to take place at the end. He's prepared wonderful life and life upon life for us all throughout eternity. And this is for the believers in Jesus Christ. And I want to pause here. The sermon's not over yet, but I just want to pause here and, and just remind you you can become a believer in Jesus right now. You don't have to wait to an end of a service, but right where you're sitting, this is a great moment for you to go, well, I want that to be true of me. I want that promise of, of eternal life to be mine. How would that happen for me? Well, first of all, you need to acknowledge that you need to be saved. You, you need to acknowledge that you are a sinner. You've, you've not followed God. You've resisted God. That's what sin is. And today, right where you are, you can acknowledge that God, I have been a sinner. I have, I have not followed you. I've been doing things you told me not to do. I've not been worshiping you. Here, I've been running my own way. Acknowledge that. And then repent. The Bible, Bible means, you, what talks about that, where you change your mind. I used to think I didn't need Jesus. Jesus, I now know I need you. You died for my sins. You were raised from the dead. You are the one who can save me. And so now I, I transfer all of my faith to you, Jesus. I'm not trusting any rules I've tried to keep. I'm not trusting that I'm somehow good enough on my own mind. I'm not. Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I urge you to do that. And get in on this celebration. It is for you as well, if you'll trust in Christ. So celebrate your eternal victory in Christ as we think about this resurrection to come through Jesus. And then this, serve the Lord courageously because of this victory that's yours through Christ. 
serve the Lord courageously because of this victory we have in Christ. So this victory over death is ours, not just to give us peace as we consider the hereafter. Oh, but this does give us peace when we consider when I die, what's going to happen? Oh, life, even more life is coming. But this victory does more than that. This victory of Christ over death lights a fire in our souls to serve the Lord. Jesus' victory over death that we get to get in on puts fresh confidence in us to serve Jesus until he comes. And we've seen this in the life of Paul, haven't we? He can face daily threats of death, all kinds of dangers. Why? Because he knows the one Jesus who was raised from the dead. And he knows this promise he's been teaching in 1 Corinthians 15, that even when he dies, even then his death is only temporary. Immediately in the presence of God, he'll go, but his body will be raised at last. There's confidence when you know this victory of Christ that makes you want to serve. In fact, this is what Paul talks about here. Verse, verse 57, a key application of all this teaching of resurrection. Notice it. Paul uses the word therefore here. All the, all the teaching, all these verses on resurrection. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. First, notice with me this affection Paul has for the Corinthians. These Corinthians were troubled and he was rebuking them a lot. He's correcting them a lot. All these chapters from chapter one to this. And yet all along, even with deep rebuke, he has deep love for them. But now notice how he exhorts them how to live in resurrection victory. In fact, let's go back to verse 55 and get a running start into this. Verse 55, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of Death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So see this, God has given us a victory over the greatest foe, over our greatest fear, death itself. And this victory is not something God says, you go out and win this victory. This is a victory that Jesus has accomplished and he's given us. So we're not serving to try to win this victory. We're serving from victory, the victory that Jesus has accomplished. So then how does that shape how I live my life then? Three ways. First of all, in light of his victory, be joyful. Be joyful. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anything more amazing than what Jesus has done for you? We sang about it earlier, how the Lord called us out of our graves, a song about Lazarus. But, but you think about your own experience. Uh, for me, I, I went back to Rocky Mount, North Carolina. When I was about 17 years old when Jesus raised me to life spiritually, where I was a dead teenager chasing all the wrong things. But, but what a change. In fact, I was thinking this week, that was about 40 years ago. And I've been, been changed ever since this amazing miracle of being dead and then made alive spiritually. But it's not just that. Even now, the promise is, yes, raised spiritually, but then a raised body at the end. So we're going to watch the Super Bowl tonight. Many of you will. And, and I bet most of us who don't have a, a team in the game, we're kind of wanting a good game. I usually like a blowout, though, if my team's in a game, right? I don't like any stress if my team's playing. I, I want to tell you, when it comes to Jesus' victory over death, it's a blowout victory over death. This is not like we barely made it. He raises the souls to life of those who have believed. That is amazing. 
and the body. So there's no victory for death whatsoever. The body will be raised. Death will have nothing. It is an absolute overwhelming victory. In fact, I love it here in the text. Paul quotes a passage and he taunts death here. Paul mocks death here where he says, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? There's none. Jesus overwhelmingly has defeated death for us. You and I should be joyful about that. You ever gone to the zoo? And of course, we go to see the animals. But one of the things you'll probably see at the zoo, if you hang around little kids, there'll be some kid there near the gorillas or near the mighty lions. And he'll be behind thick glass and he'll start mocking the mighty lion or the other massive animal. And you're thinking, that's not very nice. But why is that kid mocking the mighty animal? Because there's the safety of the glass. And here's Paul safely in Jesus Christ. He's able to say, hey, death, where's your victory? You get nothing. Soul's been raised already. Body's going to be raised at the end. What an absolute stunning victory. And it should give us joy as we walk with Jesus. So believer, be joyful. But how about this? Be faithful. Be faithful. Did you notice what he says? Be steadfast, immovable. Paul is telling these Corinthian believers to remain absolutely rooted and firm in the truth of the gospel. They are there to resist all pressure to depart from the apostles' teaching, to resist all pressure to depart from Christ himself. You and I need this word today perhaps more than ever. Christian, be steadfast, be immovable. You and I feel the pressure from around us, a culture that's demanding that we go with them into their insanity, and we say, no, I can't do that. I will be steadfast, immovable, in Jesus Christ. We feel the pressure on the inside. Ah, but I don't like conflict and, and I just want to go along to get along. Maybe I could just, just go unnoticed and just, just give in to everything. And yet God has something more for you. He expects something different of you than caving and compromising. Be steadfast in Christ. Be immovable in Christ. Many of us like to go to the beach when you go to the beach, you like to get into the water. And I remember as a young person going to the beach, realizing when you get in that water, you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions. We know it feels like they have waves crashing on you. That's not so pleasant. But we also were told, watch out for a rip current. And you can be there and, and have a riptide pull you out very deadly. And so you're on guard for that. But the one thing that I wasn't on guard for was just how the current kind of pulls you along the beach. I remember I was probably a preteen out there just goofing off in the water. And I look up for my family and they're not there. And I, I, I finally, it took me a little bit to get my bearings and realize, oh my goodness, they are yards and yards away over there. I didn't realize I was being pulled along. Isn't that a bit like what it feels like to live in this culture? There's a violent rip current telling us we must go and abandon everything that we know to be true and right from God's word. But then there's a subtle pressure that can just pull us along. And so let me remind us, believer, would you look up today? Get your bearings. Oh, it's Jesus. I need to be steadfast and movable in him, regardless of the pressures. In fact, you know whether you've been drifting or not when you go back to the scripture. Does the word of God seem strange to you? Maybe it's because you've been believing a different system, a different worldview. The word of God will bring you back to what you need to know to let you know whether you have drifted or not. Well, we're to be strong. We're to be steadfast and movable. He's going to say it again in chapter 16, verse 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. In Ephesians 6, in the context of spiritual warfare, 
we have this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So, believer, be joyful in light of Jesus' victory. Be strong in light of Jesus' victory. And then this, live focused and fruitful. In light of Jesus' overwhelming victory over death, live focused and fruitful because the Word of God says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. As the people of God destined for the joys of the new heaven and the new earth, we are to be faithful in serving the Lord until He comes. Here it again, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Notice Paul's not just writing to the leaders of the church in Corinth. He's writing to all of them, his beloved brothers, all of us abounding in the work of the Lord. So we're to be holding the line, not compromising, not caving, not being moved off of our faith in Christ, but not just holding. Now we're advancing. We're going to advance the gospel until Jesus comes. And notice that word abounding. And let me just ask you to test that word on your service to Christ. As you think through how you currently work for Christ, you serve Christ, does the word abounding fit? It's possible that you could be a Christian going, I'm just glad to go to heaven one day, and, and I don't have any ambition to actually serve the Lord. But the Word of God says you are to be abounding in the work of the Lord until He comes. Maybe you say, well, all right, I'll serve a little bit. I just don't want it to be an inconvenience to me. I don't want to rearrange my life that, that I would abound in service, I'll serve a little bit if it suits me. But God's word says, be steadfast, be immovable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Jesus spoke this way in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You and I know that we're not saved by our working for God. But we are saved to the work of God, even to abound in that work for God. So let me ask, what changes need to happen in your life that this now would be true of you? In light of the victory that Jesus has secured for you, from that victory, what do you need to do in your life to where, all right, I can now begin to abound in my service to Christ? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Listen, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And now there's a word of assurance for us here. We're told to abound, but we're told also that our work for the Lord is not in vain. Hear it again, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now here it is knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You know, a lot of things we do in life, they're in vain. We do a lot of things, and, and it's okay. I mean, you have some downtime. You may, you may do some things that, that just didn't really move the needle in terms of the kingdom of God. But, but that would be a big problem if that's kind of how you'd sum up your whole life. I'm just devoting myself to futile things. And, and what you could do is just think through, what am I doing that'll matter in a thousand years? In fact, right now, think the, the previous seven days of your life, what did you do that'll matter in a thousand years? Let's go ahead and give it the 10,000 year test. What did you do last week 
that in 10,000 years matters at all. And you might discover, man, I watch a lot of TV, watch a lot of videos. I wasted a lot of time. None of that. None of that's going to matter forever. But listen, we're told our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And that's the things, these are things we want to invest in. Maybe you're thinking about the week ahead. What is it that you're planning to do this week is going to matter in 10,000 years or in 10 million years? Anything? Maybe you've had your goal this week. Well, there's a trophy I'm trying to get. There's some medal I'm trying to get. Maybe one of our teenagers might think, well, I kind of want to get one of those senior superlatives. I want people to say something about me in the yearbook. That's, that's my goal in life. Can I tell you, if you're a teenager here, that's only going to matter for about a week. I'll give you a month. You're going to feel good about that accomplishment. About a month. It's going to be pretty embarrassing if two months after that, you're still talking about it. And if you talk about 10 years after, people are going to think, you need to get a life, right? <laughs> so... But we can think, that's so important. I got I to gotta achieve that. It just doesn't matter. That's futile. In 10,000 years, you're, you're going to be embarrassed that that was a big deal to you. Listen, what, what we do for the Lord, this is not in vain. Sometimes we have embarrassing bucket lists. And I'm not against bucket lists. That's not the point of the sermon. I, I, I don't want to deflate somebody. But, but these things that sometimes people talk about on a bucket list, these are also embarrassingly insignificant. If you make it your life. It's one thing to have a vacation. There's some cool things I'd like to do on these short little windows of vacation. It'd be cool to do. That's, that's fine. That's reasonable. But if you make this my, your life, this is my bucket list. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to attack my bucket list. This, it's embarrassing. So this week I found a website with 220 bucket list ideas. And I was hoping it would bolster my point that I'm making here. You know what? It did. It did. The thing after thing, there were a couple of things on there that seemed at some significance, but, but overwhelming, probably 218 of the 220 bucket list ideas, embarrassingly insignificant. You'll, you'll live your whole life. And if that's what you lived for, embarrassing. I mean, on the list, not bad things. You know, bucket list, going to go skydiving. One of them was to go to the Super Bowl and there's hot air balloons and all kinds of things. <clears throat> Imagine making that your life. That is a life that's lived in vain. Instead, because of the victory of Christ over death, that you're in on through your faith in Christ, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So can I suggest some things to, to jump into your bucket list and your cool trips to Niagara Falls, whatever, uh, move them down. By the way, one day, maybe I'll go to Niagara Falls. I don't want you to think I'm a hypocrite. Like you said, no, I'm not against Niagara Falls. Just not, not the reason for living, right? So let me, let me, let's front load the bucket list. How about this one? Maybe you've struggled with having a consistent time with Jesus every day. Why, why wouldn't you say, I want my bucket list. I want to be that Christian. I got to finally get it together. I got to finally be disciplined to schedule and guard time with Jesus every day. This is my bucket list. Nothing be more important to me than spending time with Jesus with an open Bible, enjoying his presence in prayer, drawing strength from every day. I'm going to be that Christian with God's help. That's, that's on my bucket list. I, I'd put that number one. You abide in Christ, everything else, you can bear fruit. Or maybe this one, you think, well, yeah, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to abound in my service to the Lord. All right, my bucket list, I want to serve regularly, faithfully in my local church. I don't want to just serve a little. I want to abound in the work of God. This is now front loaded. This is number two on my bucket list. Or maybe it is. We have a team probably has touched down in Richmond right now, coming back from over a week in Peru, serving the Lord. And maybe you think of that and go, you know what? On my bucket list now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it up here toward the top. I want to go on a mission trip before I die. This is one of the things I want. If you're physically able, maybe it's a domestic North American trip. Or maybe it's one of our international trips. You think, I, I, I want to be a part of the Great Commission like that. How about this for your bucket list? I want to be a believer that, that shares the gospel 
at least once a week. Lord, I would, this is a bucket list. I, don't, I may not always have the opportunity, but I want to live on a mission. I want to wear one of our wristbands or whatever method you use. And I want to be sharing the gospel once a week. Lord, that'd be, that'd be worthy of somebody who abounds in your work. I want to invite people to church with me. I want to serve in ministries outside the walls of this church. Lord, I want to be a part of that. And here's the good news. Your service in the Lord is not in vain. And maybe that's an encouraging word for somebody here today. Maybe you've been serving the Lord and you're just not seeing a lot of fruit from it. You might be one of our wonderful children's ministry servants. Maybe you're working with two-year-olds, three-year-olds, five-year-olds, and you think, I'm not, I'm not seeing any fruit. And when these kids eventually get saved, they never mention me in their testimony. They don't even remember. Can I, can I tell you, it's not in vain as you serve the Lord. They don't, they don't know why they have a biblical worldview, but you're down there loving kids and loving their parents and you're investing in them. They're learning from you and many others over time. There's a good God and his Bible is true. They're picking that up from you and many others. And sin is a problem, but Jesus came to rescue us from our sin and he was raised from the dead. They're hearing that from their parents and from you. None of that's in vain. I hope that's good news for you. Even when we don't see the fruit from it, oh, it's not in vain. And it may be somebody needs to hear this word. You're serving as a missionary, serving in a hard place, and you start to wonder, am I, am I even a decent missionary at all? I'm just not seeing a lot of fruit. Listen, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. William Carey served in India for years. He was abounding in the work of the Lord. But it was seven years before he saw the first person turn and put, it, put his faith in Christ. Adoniram Judson served in Burma. He was abounding in the work of the Lord, rigorous, suffering. But it was six years before the first person turned, put faith in Christ. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So tonight, you're going to watch the Super Bowl. Some of you will. And I want you to be genuinely happy for whatever team wins. And that accomplishment, we would say in eternal perspective, that small accomplishment that those men and their families get to celebrate. But as they're celebrating, and be happy for them, but I want you to remember this text and go, oh, but the victory I have in Jesus Christ is far greater than their celebration. And all that confetti and all those tears and all the hooping for that, okay, happy for them. But I'm in a bitter, better celebration through my faith in Jesus Christ. And then I want you to have this moment too. When you see them celebrate, and listen, that's their livelihood. They worked hard to get where they are. We'll give them that. But I want you to be reminded, oh, but I have a greater mission than that game. I'm a part of the great commission until Jesus comes. I want to abound in that. I have, I have a more important mission, more important purpose than even that. Let's have an application even this evening. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the clarity of your word, for the good news of your word that, that you have totally defeated death for us who have believed. And so, Lord, we are celebrating. And Lord, we want to serve you in light of that victory. Help us all, Lord, your children, to abound in our service to you. Not in our own strength, but in the strength that you supply. Lord, help us to persevere knowing that our labor for you is not in vain. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.